I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's this like parallel like ticking clock that is telling you that your value is decreasing. And Mm. the punk side of me is just like absolutely fuck that. (laughs) The fact that that's what is happening makes me want to try harder on yeah. a good day you yeah know? on a bad day it's like oh my god I can't believe I'm developing wrinkles on my face I might as well never release this song again which is just <laughs> so fucked hello hello welcome to figuring out 30 this is the podcast exploring the chaos confusion and clarity of life in our 30s I'm Bridget Hustwaite, and this is the final episode for 2023. The podcast first launched last year as a bit of a 10-part series, kind of like a pilot season. Just wanted to test out some ideas, try my hand at podcasting for the first time, and yeah, to bring it back this year and punch out way more episodes, speak to so many more amazing guests. Um, It's been so much fun, but it is time to kind of hang up the headphones for a couple of months. I've got some big things coming up that I can share in the new year, not to be like mysterious, but um, a a bit's going on right now. I need that Taylor Swift t-shirt right now, but we're going to go out with a bang for this final episode of 2023. And I love that it's a music one because obviously music presenting really is like the core of my presenting. And not only that, today's guest is an artist I have adored since first seeing her perform at Big Sound in 2017. It's Angie McMahon. Maybe you will get married, maybe fall in love. Could you make me fall asleep when you're Angie is a singer-songwriter based in Melbourne, Nam, and yeah, 2017 really was her breakthrough year with the release of Slow Mover. It was one of the biggest songs of 2017. It came in at number 33 in the Triple J Hottest 100, and two years later, she dropped her debut album, Salt, which debuted in the top 10 of the Aria's album charts and also scored Angie her first Aria nomination. She was nominated for Best Independent Release. She has sold out shows across the country, played all the major festivals, and has very quickly cemented herself as one of the country's most powerful, respected artists. I would go as far as saying that she's really shaping up to be, you kind of call them like those legacy artists. There's just something about Angie's craft and who she is as a person um, that I think is so timeless. And it's the kind of music you would want to pass on from generation to generation. I think she is so special. Last Friday and four years on from Salt, Angie released her second album, which is called Light, Dark, Light Again. And our first taste of this record was a song called Saturn Returning. If you know me in this podcast, you know I'm all about Saturn Return. I did an episode on it last year with Natasha Weber, and I obviously had to talk to Angie about it, who has used this new album to essentially capture that inevitable nature of change and transformation 
about facing the fear and letting go and also learning that it can be a portal to something bigger and better in your life. So alongside Album Chat, we talk about Angie's relationship with social media as an artist. We talk about her recently crying on stage in front of thousands of people, how she's feeling about being in her final year of her 20s and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this final episode of Figuring Out 30 for 2023 with Angie McMahon. Sweet, sweet Angie. Welcome to Figuring Out 30. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you over and gosh, it's been a while. Like I remember having you on Triple J, it would have been 2019, so Year of Salt. Yeah. Can you believe that's four years ago? No. That's terrifying. That is hectic. It's very strange to think about it. It's so nice to speak with you and it's also so nice to see you kind of back in the music cycle, the live circuit. Oscar and I saw you at Northcote Theatre the other week. Oh, thanks for coming. Fuck me. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know there were 600 people on the wait list on Tixel? Yeah, I know because my dad sent me like a screenshot of it and he, I think as a way like as a flattering thing, he's just like, look how many. And I was just like, please don't tell me that. Did it stress you out? Yeah, it stressed me out so much (laughs) because the whole point was to sort of like ease back into playing shows. But then I don't like to make people like wish and and wait. And so I felt really bad, but hey, we'll do more. Yeah, you'll do more. You'll do more. What Mm. was the the thinking behind? Because, you know, usually you release the album and then do the the headline dates, but this Mm. was before the album came out. So what was that reasoning? Yeah, well, we're playing Laneway Festival. And so that tour comes with its own, like, you know, you don't want to be touring like too close to that either side. And then with the timing of the album, um, I just wanted to also just be able to like connect with people like a little bit more intimately and like try the songs out I think it would feel strange to be releasing the album and like never have performed the songs as a band Mm -hmm. you know and like the whole point for me or like the whole like joy comes from the performance bit and so it's just it's hard to like wait and I feel like all through COVID all I wanted to do was like play shows and so that was just like the little window where it was like oh you could do this if you wanted to and I was like yes please yeah I'd love to and um yeah, like I'm excited to do more, but it's also a big step to go from not having played in a long time and like teaching the band a new record and stuff. Um, so it was sort of, I think, important just to like do things in steps rather mm. than like releasing the album and then like diving into kind of like a really high pressure tour situation. Imagine know? going straight into into something like Laneway, like that'd be so intense. Yeah, like I just don't <laughs> I would be I would be like losing it with, yeah. with stress. Yeah. So yeah, and I um I'm really grateful for it because it just feels more real that way. Like it feels more tangible. You know, like putting out the record is like it still doesn't feel that physical to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot of posting online and like waiting for people to listen to it and it's kind of like vague and arbitrary in like timelines but then like playing a show was like you're there that day you know exactly what you need to do and you can see in people's eyes when they're hearing the song Mm -hmm. you know it's like I really missed that how is that process you just raised something that's so interesting to me you know in the lead up to salt your debut uh putting out content and stuff like has it felt really different this time around being more active and present online yeah it's a different timeline like salt came 18 months after it came out 18 months after slow movie came out and so there was like a really long stretch of like I guess just being myself on the internet whereas this has been like I don't know the exact timeline but let's say like six months between the first single and the 
record coming out and um, I, I think I've tried to be more intentional about like building a world around the record and mm-hmm. like the, the visual like elements of it. Um, also just a little bit more confident with that side of things than I was the first time around. Still scares the shit out of me. Yeah. Still very unsure about it. But like <laughs> it's been – I'm trying to like take what I learned the last time and like apply it at least where I can and um, – yeah, but it's strange. Like, you know, the world is so messy and it's hard to be like posting online and promoting yourself. And like I also stopped doing it a lot like in the last few years and so then like having to lean into it again and start it again, it's like it, it's a different version of me. And Yeah. It's really, Isn't it weird? Yeah. I empathise to a small degree. It's nothing like the magnitude of what you would have to um, deal with but – even just working in like a freelance capacity and like I like my brand is my job. So like mm. to get jobs, whether it's paid partnerships or, um, you know, MC gigs or writing a book and all that kind of stuff. Like it's mm. so funny where you do have to be a bit more conscious about, well, for me, I know I feel like I'm more conscious about my output. Like how many stories am I going to put up today? Or if something yeah crazy in the world happens and you're like, I want to like talk about this. And do you find yourself overthinking it? Um, yeah. And then I try not to, like, I try as a practice to not overthink it. That was something that I think I developed early on to navigate all of that was just like, only post if it feels right. Yeah. Don't post if it doesn't feel right. If you post and then it doesn't feel right later, you can delete it. And like trying not to put so much weight on it in like, I'm not very good at planning it. And Mm -hmm. that is also a little bit of a issue because some people like schedule things and like yeah. and then don't have to worry about it in the moment whereas I'm a little bit more just like I'm going to post it when I feel like it and totally. that has worked for me even though it probably adds more stress in other ways but <laughs> it's yeah it's it's really strange it's just like a strange life and like you say like it is being a brand is a strange thing yeah uh, and I I have become more like a uh, business <laughs> minded in like oh you have to protect your brand and that for me like is it's to do with the music still it's like I think that what people are connecting with in like my work particularly is just like an authentic voice hopefully and Mm -hmm. like the songs and so like I don't want to then be posting like inauthentically on the internet or like super yeah, there's just certain things that I don't want to do that, I, and that, and sometimes I do get asked to do, and I have to kind of be like, no, I'm not going to do that. It's because of the brand, and when I say it, I like feel really yeah, I know what weird you mean. about it, but <laughs> it's it's because the brand is also the art, like, totally. You know, yeah, and it is. It's so interesting how much of a part of that being part, like that is a huge part of being an artist these days. Yeah, it's crazy. It's so wild. They're so intertwined. Like <laughs> I, I literally woke up this morning. It was like I need to read that business book that my friend gave me that I put down a while ago because there's all of these like business and um, marketing things that I think it benefits the work if you understand them more. And I'm yeah. still just like really slowly picking up on those things. But like, um, yeah, we we do ourselves a favor when we try to educate ourselves. About yeah. It. It's yeah. like, it's so wild though. You have the brand, but then you're also running a small business in the sense of, you know, your, your band who were like, you know, session players and stuff. Like it's, it's a very eye opening thing once you kind of sit down and 
I feel like the you know average music fan doesn't really think about those kinds of things mm. that go into it. But I want to go back to the show at Northgate Theatre, stunning venue, by the way. Your mm. <laughs> this is a the the amazing thing about you, Angie. Obviously, like your art. Um, you as a person, but your fans, like, because they are mm. nice, wholesome people. Like you yeah. attract the people who are like same values and, and that kind of stuff and very respectful crowd. Like it was, you know, I, I feel like it's people like you, Meg Mac, Matt Corby, who have that really insane ability to just like silence any kind of room. And there was a lot of people in that <laughs> theatre and it was just like you could drop a pin. Um, mm. And I know you described the whole tour is a very much like crying. <laughs> like the, the crying show was Sydney, right? Yeah, so I What cried. happened? You cried on stage? Yeah, I did. It hasn't happened to me before in that way where I cried before anything had even happened. Like, <laughs> you know, you walk on stage and people are like, woo, you're here. Like the moment the artist gets on stage and that's when I cried. So you cried as soon as you got on stage. Yeah. What was what was going on in the brain? I don't know. I don't know if it was brain. It was kind of body. Yeah. It, it was like... I guess what it felt like was gratitude. Like I was, like I say, like really looking forward to playing shows. And actually that week was so hard because I had like in the two weeks before had and recovered from COVID and then like canceled a bunch of shows that I had overseas, but really like came home and did Sydney and Melbourne. Um, Like I was asleep an hour before that show. Like I was like pretty (laughs) messy and I was um, also just so, so wanting it to, to like so wanting to land in the moment with it and then I think that's what happened is like I walked on stage and I landed in the moment and I was just like probably feeling so much gratitude that it was able to happen and so was it like sobbing was it like kind no, of just like a little just sniffle a, it was a rush of like tears and I just sort of I was turning around to like pick up my guitar and you know like strap it over my shoulder and play the first song and as I turned around I was just like you just need to take two seconds and cry and then like turn back around and it'll be done and it was you know it's just a little bit of a like a wave and um do people notice in the crowd like were they like oh, she's crying no or? I don't think so <laughs> but I spoke to my band about it after and the same thing happened to my drama in the first song really I think we were just like really so happy to be there and it's a big thing like there's thousand and something people really there to like hear this stuff that you've been working so hard on and I think we just used to be a bit more sure about it like the next gig used to be a little bit more guaranteed and the next record and like the trajectory of things. Whereas now like we don't take it for granted and we don't really know what the next week is going to look like. And so that when you realize that you're in the moment, that's like the thing that you've really been looking forward to. I think we were just kind of like, fuck. Holy shit. Yeah. And like, I, I'm happy to cry. Like I love crying and it's I, the best feeling. It's like, <laughs> and I'm just like, release the cortisol. Yeah, give me the snot. Right. And I was like really thinking a lot about, what it is to like be in a room with a whole bunch of people when we couldn't do it. Like mm. for so long we couldn't do it. And I I was reading this book called The Art of Gathering. Do you know that book? No. Um, Priya Parker is the author. I like heard her on a Brene Brown podcast. And oh, like, but it's really beautiful when she talks about like intentional gatherings with people. And there was a couple of things like that where I was like really taking note on how powerful it is to be able to like, if you are on stage, like, you know, be in a moment of harmony with however many people and like stuff that I just maybe hadn't had the space to think about like mm. in the in the pre-COVID touring life and so all of this stuff like maybe made a lot of space all of this like time and space in my body to be like when I am doing it it's going to be really intentional and I'm going to be grateful hopefully 
and I think that's the crying moments and like it did happen a couple times that week where I was just like I'm so tired I've been really sick I've been working so hard for this there's a million and one things going on but there's still space that I have like kind of deeply created and then like the gratitude just like landed you know Mm. and it was really like that's kind of what it's about like I I felt present so the crying was maybe being present and I yeah that's good. So did you mention it at any point during the show being like, oh, hey, I was like lol crying Probably. or was it just like after yeah. like on socials? I don't, I don't remember. I think I was kind of like, oh, you guys just made me cry anyway. Here's the first song. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, it is just kind of part of it. Like, yeah. They're emotionally charged shows. <laughs> mm, truly. Yeah. When you were talking about that book and the way you're speaking on it, I want to bring up affirmations because Mm. I feel like Saturn returning, especially, you know, that was the first taste of this, of this album, um, such a powerful piece and the lyrics, like it it really felt like every line was like an affirmation. Is Mm. is that kind of like an accurate way to interpret it? Yeah, I think so. That song and also the record, there's a lot of affirmation happening. Have you always been like an affirmations girly? No, I developed it out of um, necessity. (laughs) Yeah, what, during COVID or before that? I think, uh, yeah, throughout the last few years, like I have maybe learnt more about – I could talk about this forever, so I'm so sorry if I just said something about it. But like (laughs) I – you know, like I've always struggled with my mental health and I was – having a pretty tough one and I was learning about like how our subconscious mind is so set on speaking negatively to us and it's like mm-hmm. a self-protective mechanism and I was reading this psychology book and listening to a bunch of podcasts about it where I I guess I just had like my eyes opened and started to understand how much of the time I was speaking negatively to myself for you know like yeah self-protection reasons but I started to like tune into it during the day. There's this exercise that was sort of like, okay, at any point, washing the dishes, whatever, try and pause and remember what you were just saying to yourself. And there's this like 80, 90% chunk of the day where we're on autopilot and probably saying something kind of negative or fully negative, you know, shutting yourself down in some way, trying to keep yourself safe. And it was so overwhelming, like kind of coming to that realization. I did a lot of writing about it. And Very confronting. Yeah. And I was also like talking to like, um a really beautiful therapist about it and I had there's this um woman called Rach Sardelich do you know her she's based up in New South Wales but she's kind of a like a creative mentor she used to work in music management and she's like very spiritual anyway I was having some sessions with her as well at the time and um I just I realized that like I really needed to redirect (laughs) my mind and like probably rewire my subconscious because Mm um I didn't have yeah, I didn't have the tools or the mechanisms that I needed to like get out of the state that I was in. And um, at the same time, I'm making the record and I really want to make a record that um, I'm proud of. But it just also just became like a necessity to make art that was like building my confidence mm-hmm. back up and it sort of became a thing for myself, like affirming myself um, – I needed a, a space in my life to do that. And so I started doing it through music and I was like, I, eventually I was just kind of like, I guess this is what the record's going to be. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so interesting when you think about the intent of the next record and what it's going to center around. So you didn't walk in being like, I have a kind of particular thing I want to tackle here. It was just like real time figuring shit out. Um, let's put pen to paper and yeah. make, reflect that. Yeah. I almost, I actually worried about it being really uncool. Why? Um, what do you mean? 
mean? <laughs> well, I I guess like I um I wasn't listening to rock songs or um music that was necessarily saying like I love myself. I was listening to some music that was saying that that was kind of like um meditative like weird um choir stuff that I really was loving, but I I didn't really know how to marry that to like my artistic like project. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I thought I was going to make like a cool rock record, but um, that's just not what I needed. I needed someone and the someone was me <laughs> to be really, really compassionate. And like um, I could picture myself playing shows in the future and like standing on stage and I was like, I am going to struggle with that too because of mental health and everything and I need I need to be on stage like creating really good energy. Yeah. You know, like it's – it's like a self-care practice so is that a big thing for artists um you think about the live show um in the process of creating songs and be like how is this going to fit how am I going to feel playing this night after night especially when it is like you Mm. know emotionally heavy um yeah like I didn't really realize that yeah I guess it was kind of a response to the first record maybe like having toured it a lot and I was maybe just reflecting on like um, what was the ratio of like negative to positive energy coming out of me on stage each night and like um, what do I want that to look like next time? I, just, mm. I don't think it's necessarily like the only driving factor. Like I'll probably work on another record that maybe is like a bit darker again. I don't know but it was just like at the time I was thinking about what it's going to be like on stage in some respect like you imagine yourself – playing the new record at festivals or whatever. And so you're kind of like, oh, I want to make sure there's this certain kind of like lively energy appearing on the record or whatever. But um, And then, yeah, it kind of evolved into like, but what do I need Mm. to be? It's finding that balance, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's finding that balance and I think you probably would have found from the success of Salt and is how much people really um, resonate with your music you're kind of like a balance of like, what do I need for my music? Do you do you think about, yeah, what do my fans need or what do they expect? Like, is that a struggle? Yeah, I think that becomes a scary space. Um, I mean, I think, like you say, like I think the people who like my music are really like lovely. I've always had really beautiful experiences with them. But yeah. even beyond like fans, it's just like, what, like what is my, <laughs> my enemies, you know, like what is <laughs> anyone going to think and like what – that becomes risky as you start like comparing yourself and Mm. I can get into like a pretty like self-loathing space with it. So I try not to worry about it too much, but I just have high expectations of myself Mm -hmm. anyway. Um, And I think the way that I've found to deal with it is like, well, if I'm really sure about the intention and if I'm being really thoughtful about it in the moment, then like that should be enough. And and if it's like – um, flowing in like a way that's beautiful and I'm able to feel like present and make music that is like bringing me joy in the moment which is what I needed like I really just needed to like summon joy for myself mm-hmm. um, that's enough and like the the whole like success side of it and like how it's going to be perceived and how many festivals you're going to get booked on and whatever like that um, it just started to like not deteriorate but like it its value and like how much I should be valuing it was like maybe becoming a bit clearer Mm -hmm. versus like are you happy right now are you making something that you love and like 
do you feel good making this mm. you know I love this there seems to be like a lot of reflection and a lot of intent here and even what you're saying before and again I think it's something that your average music fan even myself um you just don't think about like when you're talking about it's kind of like a little you have like a little debrief after album number one and what you want to do differently what you want to take into the next time what what do you think of like Angie like salt Angie when you look back four years ago and um, how differently, I guess, your mindset was and mm. how you were, yeah, in terms of confidence and everything compared to now with album number two. Big change? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, a lot of similarities. I guess I'm proud of her because I, like, uh, I remember how much she was struggling. Mm-hmm. She, she, <laughs> like, I always wanted to do the job and um, that version of me was, like, experiencing the very first time that I was, like, being you know like publicly perceived Mm -hmm. and I I was just like so uh anxious and I mean I still struggle with anxiety and I was really depressed and I still struggle with depression but like those things were maybe driving it more um I think like musically I really like with the first record that I was protecting um I was protecting the sound and not pushing my boundaries too much because I was more interested in like just finding out who I was at the moment mm-hmm. and trying to like nail the most authentic thing. And so I think of it and I was intending it to be that record like quite simple and quite like stripped back, I guess, and only add something in if it really felt like me and only experiment with something if it really felt like the song wanted it and um and not try and overcomplicate it. And so, and I think that might be why the record did well partly is because it's like, it's not overdone. You know, I'm really proud of what we made. And then I think coming to the. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This record, I was sort of like, okay, I know the core of who I am as a musician. I know what, I know where I started and that level has been met. And then I do now want to like be a bit more brave Mm -hmm. and also identify like the things that I was afraid of and why I was afraid of them and if that's going to keep working like if I want to keep limiting myself that much and um so this one felt riskier because I was a little bit more willing to like dive into the unknown and like honestly like there's things on this record that I probably would do differently if I did it again but I learned a lot along the way and I think um I'm just like a little bit less afraid of having made something that like is maybe not a hundred percent like perfect you know Mm -hmm. like the first one I felt like I was limiting myself because I was like it just has to be perfect even if it's less um whereas this one I was like try and be more try and be bigger try to let go of it needing to be perfect Mm -hmm. and that so that feels like a little bit like an evolution of like you know my relationship with fear and stuff. Yeah. You know? Do you, is this lending into the, I guess, yeah, the soundscapes of it when you say bigger? Are we saying bigger instrumentation, more textures and layers? Are we also yeah. saying bolder lyrics, more 
not confronting but maybe more confessional yeah probably both like um I guess I'm talking about like the production process primarily Mm -hmm. and like and you're really hands-on with that yeah I I mean it's sort of 50 50 like I'm like the people that I'm producing the songs with are professional producers (laughs) and then I'm in the room kind of being like yes I love you I love what you do you're amazing I'm still gonna try and drive (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and they're just like okay Angie do do what you need to do but it's more just because um I I like think of the songwriting and the producing as like quite intertwined and I end up making pretty intensive demos when I'm like writing the song and so it's sort of my role in the studio you know produce co-producing is sort of to try and like honor the vision that I had as I was writing it and then there's another producer in the room and there was a couple on this record and they each like brought their own like beautiful uniqueness to it who is the professional like producer and sound engineer and actually knows what the fuck is going on because I don't (laughs) but I'm learning along the way yeah um and leaning into that collaboration and trusting that person a bit more is um trust is a huge part isn't it? it's a huge part of it yeah and like Gormi, Alex O'Gorman, who is the producer on the first record and also on a couple of songs on this record, he's my bass player. He, I credit a lot of that um, to him because he's been the first like producer that I've worked with intensively like that and um, it like being able to build like a trust relationship and um, also just like have your friend sort of hold space for whatever it is that you're feeling even if they don't understand it and kind mm-hmm. of be like, yeah, okay, like whatever you need, you know. Um, then I, I've just been able to like expand a bit more and but yeah it's like collaboration is like a tricky it's a tricky thing for like a perfectionist oh hell yeah <laughs> it takes a lot to kind of I guess in a sense surrender to that right and yeah. that seems to be a huge theme in the record and I'm obviously particularly keen to touch on the I guess surrendering to Saturn Return and that transition because you're 29 how are you like give us a vibe check on the last year of your 20s are you feeling okay about hitting 30 yeah I do I feel good about it yeah have you always felt good about it no I mean I feel good about it and I feel like it's complicated but um I'm just much more accepting that like you can't stop time Mm. it's a tricky one I mean you would know this in like the music industry and 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 the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. um but I yeah I I've spoken to other artists about this as well like how you get asked so much as a woman Mm -hmm. about being 30 and in your 30s and stuff and I'm kind of like am I just worried about it because I know people are gonna ask me about it like if if no one ever asked a woman that like would I care Mm -hmm. And I guess I don't know the answer to that, but I remember being like 24 and I still hadn't put out like my first record and I felt really old. And I look back on that now and I'm like, what? 24 is a baby. I know. (laughs) And I was like, I can't believe I'm 24 and I haven't put out a record. Like I'm such a failure. And that was just such a strong feeling that I had in my body. And so I've already lived that. I'm kind of like, well, this is the exact same thing. Mm. The only thing telling you otherwise is society being like women in their 30s, like they need to go and have children or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like I don't, yeah, I don't really want anyone else to define it for me. So if I just try and define it for myself, I'm like, yeah, that's great. Like I'm so lucky I've lived – 29 years like Mm. what a gift the frustrations um of ageism in music is like that's what really fucks me off um I remember having a really good conversation with Jack River about it Mm. um and especially for her going into the world of motherhood as well you know like it's just amazing and you're right like we wouldn't be asking um 
I wouldn't be sitting with Kevin Parker being like, how are you feeling about your 30s? Couldn't tell you how old Kevin Parker <laughs> is. Yeah, so interesting. But I think it is just a reflection of just the anxieties that we do feel. I mean, mm. I can even just like candidly speak on my hesitations or my concerns, even just having worked at a youth broadcaster and approaching 30 and just feeling mm. like having these thoughts but then being like are the guy presenters even thinking about this like are they even worried about Mm. that shit like probably not Mm. um it is just I don't know it's really hard to kind of dissect um the world like the in the field that we're in um and these markers and also you know the even when I see for me it's like these lists that are like 30 under 30 like you know Mm. those kind of big achievement lists they really kind of um amplify my Mm. I don't know, urgency, like the, probably the same yeah. urgency that you would have felt at 24, which is so crazy. It's so young. Like, oh my God, I feel <laughs> but I can so imagine hard. at the time. <laughs> I had, I was in a room recently where people said I did express like some kind of, you know, fear about being like old in the industry and raising my second record. And they were like, how old are you? And I was like 29. And they were like, what? And it was a room full of women. It was this like amazing retreat that I went on um, with Wella, which is like women environmental leadership and um all these musicians in the room and I was one of the youngest ones and I was expressing like this fear and they were just like what are you talking about and like that again it's just like a a a check where you're sort of like why like why are we worried about that and the thing that frustrates me about it is like all those women in that room and all of the women that I know who are older than me and artists or storytellers or activists or whatever like the older we get the more wisdom we have Mm -hmm. and the more we have to offer and the world like the society that we're like trying to contribute to like doesn't really seem to recognize that and I think all we can do is just like keep on going and keep on being strong and loud because the more I learn about the world the more I feel like I have to contribute to Mm. it you know but it's like there's this like parallel like ticking clock that is telling you that your value is decreasing and Mm. the punk side of me is just like absolutely fuck that (laughs) the fact that that's what is happening makes me want to try harder on a good day yeah on a bad day it's like oh my god I can't believe I'm developing wrinkles on my face I might as well never release a song again which is just so (laughs) fucked like the way that escalates right yeah (laughs) so dangerous mental health (laughs) right so how would you describe your satin return do you feel like you are still going through it or apparently I am yeah astrologically so says the website where I looked up (laughs) when is my satin return when did you first come to know satin return do you remember when you first um heard of the term I don't actually Mm. do you I kind of feel like oh you do (laughs) so random it was literally like after my first book coming out and having, you know, break up and all this stuff. And then on the same day, my book came out, another book came out from Samantha Wills, who is an entrepreneur, jewelry designer. Um, and she had a, a chapter called Satin Return. And mm. I was like, what's this? And then I was, mm. as I was reading it and I was like, holy shit, that's what I'm in right now. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, started kind of researching a bit more, I guess. But, mm. yeah. Oh, that's kind of so satisfying to know like the yeah. exact moment. I don't remember. I feel like it was kind of like in the ether. People sort of mention it. Probably had no idea what it was the first time I heard it. Probably 10 times into hearing the phrase, I was kind of like starting to understand it but I didn't understand that I was in mine until I was in it you know and I was like upside down on the, the rock bottom of the earth floor and I was like something's something's up something's different <laughs> <laughs> something's changed and like I'm not a big uh 
like I don't have a lot of knowledge about like the astrological like movements in the way that like there's a lot so many people do. there's so much there <laughs> and like I you know I like to subscribe to like the things that align and that was just it's like it was so obvious mm. I was just like oh I am in this thing and I was 27 and like 27 is my uh lucky number oh so I turned 27 I was like this is gonna be a good year and it was literally the worst year of my life and then why um it was just like everything well I guess like I don't know how you think about a Saturn return but like for me it's kind of like whatever it is that you've been um avoiding or just like using to cope or like coast through is going to like fall apart or show itself to you and you're going to have to like prove you can't run away from it you can't run and it's like you have to define your life now on different on like your core terms Mm. like it has to be for you it can't be for anyone else and I just I guess I just had all these things sort of like floating the record was one of them you know my like relationship with myself my relationship with some other people like all of these things that were just sort of like converging into a hurricane and then suddenly I was in the eye of the storm and, I and highlighted or intensified with COVID as well yeah. when there's not much to do so you are kind of like totally. sitting there and just thinking we're sitting in, in your thoughts yeah <laughs> we're in lockdown yeah like, yeah so I was 27 but then I learned that like my actual Saturn return this is the thing that's weird to me is like only just started more recently mm-hmm. and so I'm like I I'm sure I went through it, <laughs> but also maybe it's long, you know, it's kind of like people define it with different like timelines and I think I'm still in it and I guess I'm kind of grateful for that. Like it, it's sort of nice to accept that like my life might keep being turned on its head for the mm. next like however many couple of years and like there's a there's a relief in like, yeah, surrendering to that. Definitely. It's a pretty generous timeline. I think that they give for Saturn return. Like it's, I think I read like 27 or 31, but like Mm. I'm 32 and I'm like still in it. Like it's peaking again. Like it's just in waves. (laughs) It's so interesting. So when you crafted, was Saturn returning the first song that you actually wrote for the new album or what was the first one? No, it was uh, a song called, oh no, Staying Down Low, which is on the record, which I had finished around the time that Salt was coming out. Mm-hmm. It was kind of one that I was like, maybe I should cram it onto the record, but I was like, I'll just put it on there. Is that the um, the oldest song that you have on this album? Yeah, that's the oldest one. Yep. But, um, and then there was a song called, oh, Fireball Whiskey might have been the next one. There's a song called Fish, which was the first song that I wrote that felt like the record made sense. It's, not, it's song number three on the record. It's like one of my favourite ones. What was um, it about that song that you were like, uh-huh? It was kind of like uh, I was sitting in my room in this like real flow of making – I was adding in all the sounds. I was like stacking in all this stuff. I was pretending that I was in the war on drugs. I was just Oh, like, love. Oh, my God. Pain fucks me yeah, so it was, hard. I was literally <laughs> listening to like Pain oh. and like a couple of other their songs, that guitar, just the whole sound, everything. Yeah. And I was like – I finished this demo and I was just like, oh, thank God. Like <laughs> I'm a musician. I remember, you know, that was in like – 2020 when we were just like in our bedrooms you know like so Saturn returning came I don't actually know the timeline but it was much later in the record in the in terms of like how many songs I had for the record I think it was probably necessary to experience like all of the um uncertainty and intensity and all of the lessons that like came out in like other parts of the record to then maybe be able to write that song which was sort of like hey I'm willing to surrender to Mm. 
not knowing what's going to happen next because I'd already kind of been in it. It's, it's like, like I'm always just doing metaphors with water, but like let's just say you're like in a really intense ocean with like the waves going everywhere and it's like you sort of have been figuring out how to swim and then you finally have figured out how you're going to swim or how you're going to like flow with it. Mm. And that was when like Saturn returning came. But then when I made it, like the demo and everything, it just felt so cinematic and so like uh, euphoric and it sort of like set the scene for how I wanted the record to make sense. So I think it was it was a really pivotal point in the writing where like I understood what the record was going to be and like another one of those like milestones. But And you knew instantly like this is going to be the first taste, this is going to set the tone for I people. I think by the time it was finished I knew yep. that, yeah, or I was really keen for it to like Isn't it cool how that out. happens like when you start the record and yeah. you may not – like it could be even like a week from starting the record or however long – you're not you don't even know at that time that you're going to create a song like that that will end up being like the first taste like it's just yeah it's I love so the processes nice. <laughs> it's very special yeah. and actually like it 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 still teaches me stuff that song because it's about like not wanting to be afraid and it was the first song on the record I knew that I knew it was gonna be the first one I didn't know it was gonna be the first song that I Release. released because and I didn't know that up until like maybe a month or two before putting it out um because my like someone that I was working with was like really backing that song and I deeply was really backing that song but um generally it didn't feel like a single it didn't mm. feel like a strong kind of like letting go like return um but in the end it just felt like the most honest like true depiction and I'm really glad that I landed with it because um it felt really it felt right but I wasn't going to do it first and that was out of fear. So it's interesting that like the song itself was like, don't be afraid. Yeah, you can do <laughs> choose it. Choose me. <laughs> choose me. Oh, my God. Imagine yeah, the song is like, choose me. Choose Love me. me. Yeah. Isn't that from Grey's Anatomy or something? Like, oh, I think I'm so. scared of watching Grey's Anatomy. Why? Just too much. Too much. Just, just gory. Yeah. And a lot of heartbreak. Yeah. I mean, I dropped off after like maybe season two. It's been a long time. I'd love to watch it and enjoy it because there's so many seasons and I know it can go forever like I have friends who are like I'm on season 17 yeah, I'm like, I'd love to have that kind of relationship <laughs> consistency with a tv show what is your favorite tv show what does Andy watch um uh I have a few but I love like a drama that's yeah like maybe not gory maybe a little bit more like yelly at the moment I've just <laughs> gone back to watch one of my favorites which is Newsroom do you know that show no Newsroom. it's like an Aaron Sorkin drama it's kind of like a theatre performance like um he also wrote West Wing oh right um I watch a lot of like weirdly like U.S. politics TV shows like, like Scandal I haven't watched Scandal okay no it's like the exactly. only one that I know um they're just yeah. like I don't know I don't even watch necessarily very good ones but um do you watch anything that would be like super unexpected like Ooh. that you just would not pick you to watch I don't know. What would you? What would I don't know. Do? I guess for me, like, I'd be thinking like Geordie Shore or something like that. Like oh, some... I did watch a fair bit of Love Is Blind. Oh, in the okay. Last couple of years, yeah. I got sucked into that world. Was that a lockdown kind of binge? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. You just gotta <laughs> connect to like that world a little bit. I loved The Vampire Diaries growing up, but I don't know that's probably. Oh yes, that was huge. That was yeah, huge. I was really into. One thing that I wanted to kind of highlight was how music has helped you make sense of such a formative time in your life. Mm. Because in a recent um, 
Guardian interview that you did, you you mentioned how you developed a more complicated relationship with depression whilst releasing music. So, mm. yeah, like I guess I. Hmm. It's such a good question. It's like it's complicated. Yeah, <laughs> depression is complicated, and especially like when you do have music to help you make sense of it. Because on one hand, it is your outlet, but then I guess it's that cycle of I don't know when. Yeah, the maybe it's the pressure and expectation coming back in or mm. like has, has there been and maybe this is dark but like has there been a time where you've been like fuck music has made me feel sadder I just want to stop it like I just need to take a break yeah and that was confronting because for my whole life this is the only thing I've ever wanted to do yeah um bit of a like devo realization when you're like fuck it's like when you turn your hobby into a job in a way sometimes totally and I think it's almost the job side of it it's like Mm. the industry side of it all of the things that come with the making the music that probably cause that I don't think it's the music in itself that has caused that I'm like I'm like the music is holy (laughs) (laughs) um the practice like having a creative practice yes is um so crucial and I think it's when you can see that you want to give that up because like the industry has made it so hard that mm. it, uh, it's sort of like is this even worth it and I did definitely get to a breaking point with that which sort of um is necessary like it it was necessary for me to like understand that I would be okay without it because I didn't really think that before I didn't think that I could like do life if I wasn't doing music whereas now because I I did feel like you know in the whole last few years this whole process like I felt like I had like deeply failed in like, you know, a lot of ways personally, musically, whatever. And um, I've always been really afraid of failing. And so like to kind of be in that moment where I was like, oh, I have failed. Like this is, you know, the, the rock bottom kind of moment. So is that um, what failure, like fa- what does failing, it's so hard to say failing, <laughs> failing, failing. failing. What does that look like to you? Is it get, getting to that point of being like, I don't want to do this anymore? Yeah, it's um, like I've lost my motivation. Like I've, or I, it's not right for me anymore, or, yeah. I, or I can't do it well anymore, or like um, I'm not meant to be doing it anymore. I guess I've always felt like it's like my purpose, like not necessarily to be like a public figure or anything, like but to be writing. Like I am so interested in it and inspired by like understanding the human state and our emotional states and like the energy that we experience. And that's what I like love writing about. And that's what I love trying to understand through music. And so it does like, that is how I process things. And like you say, like things, I I make form and like structure of my life in that way. And I think the failing was like, I cannot make sense of anything mm. now and um, and I can't do it through this lens of like the way that I was doing it, which is just writing about my life. Like I just had spiralled into this place of feeling really self-absorbed and awful and not having any of the answers anymore and kind of being like, what am I even writing for? What am I even writing about? And And then that went away again and it passed after like a bunch of learning and it's still like, you know, just ebbs and flows. Mm. But you can manage it better? Yeah, because I think uh, I think I realised that I am willing to like give up 
the industry side of it if it gets too hard. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I used to think that they were more intertwined, whereas now I'm like. You can separate them. Yeah, you can separate them. That's powerful and, to get to that point. Yeah, it is. I feel like a lot of people, like artists don't, can't get to that point. Well, it's, there's so much fear around it. Yeah. Like it's such a, it's such a fear like prompted industry where like you have to have momentum and you have to be making money and whatever. And I've been really privileged and lucky to be able to do that up to this point and so they had become really intertwined whereas now like I mean it would be a pretty hard shift but if I did end up just like changing my like job so that I could keep making music and being happy uh, I think I just have like a deeper understanding that that would be okay Mm -hmm. and like it had a lot to do with just kind of looking at what I have around me and like there's all this love around me and like um beautiful things and like if I'm not growing an audience and a brand um I'm gonna be fine look at all this awareness you're taking into your 30s thank you yeah that's like the beauty of age it is there's nothing more exciting than starting a new chapter I mean it comes from both ends like you could start a new chapter from scratch and being you know being like god I have so much work to do or you can start a new chapter heading into it being like I know that I am taking in so many things from my 20s or from whatever and how I'm going to apply this into this new era. It's it's so nice. Yeah, it's just like it makes it worth it, mm-hmm. I think, like to be able to like clock the lessons and kind of like um, – That's what life is all yourself. about. Yeah, evolving. Being. Yeah. Well, Angie, it's been so nice to have like – I feel like it's been a bit of a D&M. Kind of yeah, party. life DM. Um, and congratulations again on the album. You're a star. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Anytime. If you want to stay connected with Angie McMahon, I've popped her Instagram handle in the show notes of this episode and also a link to stream and purchase her brand new album, Light, Dark, Light Again. It is such a beautiful, powerful body of work and I really want to see this hit number one on the Aria's album chart. So please buy it. Go support Angie. She is such an incredible talent. And thank you for supporting Figuring Out 30. Like I said at the start of this episode, it's been so great to bring the podcast back this year and punch out more episodes i will be returning with this project uh early-ish next year but i've got a few other things to attend to first which will make sense in time but yeah just wanted to say a massive thank you and as i harp on every week it is a one woman show it's literally just me working on this thing at home it does take a lot of work to get this going but it has been really rewarding and if you do have time to share a little review or rating or just to follow the podcast wherever you listen to your pods that would mean the world because that also helps um, figuring out 30 reach more people so thank you so much next time when we chat in podcast form like I said it'll be early next year there will be a fair bit to catch up on so I'm just going to go live life come back and report on it Um, but yeah it's been so great to have your ears tuned in for this podcast again so thank you and i will talk to you soon if you want to stay connected with me lol let's plug my instagram at bridget hustwaite so you can stay up to date with whatever the fuck i'm doing um but i'll talk to you soon thank you bye (laughs) say bye daisy she's just staring at me she wants to sleep Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.